Welcome to the Columbia Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Balkum, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Now, enjoy the message. So I have to tell you that this, uh, this series called When Gratitude Greats has really been an important exercise for me personally. I am finding it some days difficult to be grateful. I think a couple of people have asked me, you know, how have you managed to master this? And the answer is sometimes I have and and sometimes I haven't. I just got to tell you the truth that some days I find it difficult to control or or even to get my hands around or my head around my emotions. And I don't think I'm the only one. Have you noticed how grumbly and snippy people are these days? I mean, it, it seems to me that we should be at our kindest and gentlest right now as a culture. We're going through so many things together. We're experiencing so many things at the same time. But man, I'm seeing more road rage, more people in grocery stores and other places who are in bad moods than I think I've ever seen before. And I think the reason is, is fear. Now, let me talk to you. I've talked many times about fear, but let me speak with you about it again today. So this is the week we love to be afraid, right? I mean, this is the one. This is, for some people, they tell me this is like Halloween's their favorite holiday of the year. I can't fathom that that would be the case when Christmas is out there, Thanksgiving, I can't fathom. I did hear, though, uh, something terrible uh, this week. And, uh, you know, I just want to say this while Chris Clifford's not on the stage because I know how he's going to mourn and grieve this. But uh, I learned, and maybe you did too, that the Charlie Brown specials are, are not going to be on ABC anymore. I, I think we should, all, we should all write ABC and let them know uh, we're not pleased with this. You can't just use your rabbit ears to get these shows anymore. Um, now they are exclusively owned by Apple, like everything else. So you have to have Apple television to watch the Charlie Brown Halloween special. There is no justice in the world. I've been trying to tell you people this. This is the stuff the prophets talked about. Not really, but it is a shame. And the Thanksgiving special, you're not, you're not going to get that either. You know, you're not over the river. I mean, what is wrong? With, and here's, here, here's the thing. I don't want to say this with Chris close by because I know he's going to cry. The Charlie Brown Christmas special will only be on Apple this year. Okay, enough of that. Well, the point is that's not something to be afraid of. But there are a lot of things that we are afraid of, and this is the week that we sort of talk about or think about or personify fear a little bit. And, and I, I want to think about the things that we, we really fear. Two things that have helped me a lot. One of them is to name the things for which I'm grateful. So I've been telling you about this, this journal I've been keeping, this gratitude journal. And if you're doing it with me, you're discovering that by now it's getting really hard. Some people have told me it isn't. I guess I appreciate that. But for me, I've been doing this now for five weeks. And every day I have to think about three new things that I haven't thought about before for which to be grateful. And I'm running out of of things that I'm cognizant of. And that's when the real discipline comes in. Gratitude is a discipline. It's something that we decide to do. It's something that we intentionally do. But, But the other thing that has helped me across the years before I ever started a gratitude journal was to start to name my fears. And I don't know if you do this or not because 
I find most people I talk to just don't. There's this nebulous blob of stuff out there that they call anxiety. Anxiety is nothing but fear inside of us. That's all it is. And, and when I say to them, what are you really afraid of? They have a hard time telling me what they're afraid of. And the more I've done this, the more in my journal, because I've journaled for years, it is my most important spiritual discipline. There's nothing that compares to the change God has made in my life through the process of reflection and his using that to see what's happening inside of me and how it intersects with his word and his way and with other people. The more I've journaled and the more I've written down my fears, listed them, this is what I'm afraid of right now, the more tangible those things became for me, the more I could manipulate them in a way, deal with them. And the more I've learned that I am afraid of something very different than I used to think I was. So I think if you'd asked me at one point in my life, what are you afraid of? I, I might have said I'm afraid of dying. And I, and I suppose dying is the ultimate fear, and it is the one that none of us can escape. So we all encounter it. We all have this in common. We are mortal creatures. Our lives are just hand breaths, and, and there, is, there is going to be a moment where we leave this place, and while we have great hope for the future, we haven't been there before. And so we don't know exactly what to expect, and that scares us. Probably the prospect of dying scares people as much as dying. What will I die of? Who will be around me? Those sorts of things. I think I would have once upon a time said that I, I fear death more than anything else. That's actually not true. I've discovered that my greatest fear is being alone and unloved. That is my greatest fear. Now, maybe some of you would say public speaking is your greatest fear, but when you've done this for 30 years, you don't, you don't worry about that so much anymore. But even public speaking is the fear of that, isn't it? It's the fear of being rejected, that what I offer will not be received by others. And, and at the root of every real fear I have is this. I'm just going to tell you, and I'm giving you a lot of power. Now you find out why my feelings can be hurt so easily. For those who, of you who've discovered that, I fear being rejected. I fear being alone. I fear being unloved. So I had an aha moment some weeks ago because we had a counselor come on to Soul Cafe. Now, if you don't watch Soul Cafe on Wednesday evenings, I think it's awesome. And I love working with Aaron Keating to get the people in the room. It's different every week. And this counselor was talking about how people were responding and reacting to the COVID crisis, to this corona moment. And, and here's what she said. She said, we are socially wired to believe that if we are isolated, it is because we have been rejected and something is wrong with us. I really had to process that for a minute. Wait a second. I rationally knew at the time why I was more isolated than usual. I, I, I rationally understood why social distancing was necessary, why people won't talk to me when I'm in a grocery store, why it's so different than it has been in the past. But she wasn't talking about my rational self. She wasn't talking about my rational mind. She was talking about my hunter-gatherer mind, my reptile mind. She was talking about the unconscious part of me that is processing all the time in ways I'm not always aware of. She hit something. I mean, I intuitively knew immediately she was right that this is what I'm seeing in people. 
And so there are lots of reactions we give to that when we fear we are being rejected. And one of them is just to deny the whole thing, to pretend it's not there. Denial is is a really common response to fear. And so we're seeing a lot of denial in our culture right now. But fight or flight are the two big ones, right? And so some people are going to reject you before you can reject them. And that leads to a lot of aggression, a lot of pushing before someone else can push. If I perceive that I am on the outside, I'm rejected, that you think less of me, my response to that could be one of aggression and anger, and that is a response we are seeing in spades in our culture right now. And the other one's to run away, to, to hide, just, just to somehow pull into myself and become an island unto myself, and that's not what human beings were designed to be. Now, fear is at work in our culture. I just reread a book that I read several years ago that you might want to take a look at because I think it's really well written. It's a book by a Canadian journalist named Dan Gardner. He's written some other books I like too. This is a really simple book. It's a layman's perspective on what we know about brain science and psychology of fear. So, he just, he just offers this perspective that I think is really digestible, really easy to see. And I thought of this book, which was written in 2008. It was reprised in 2015, updated. The update's kind of cool. I like the update as well as I like the book. And, and so this is the copy that came out in 2015. And I picked it up in an airport when I was getting ready. Do you guys remember? There are these places where there are these things called planes that land. You get on them. You go somewhere. You remember those? So... You know, I, I didn't have anything to read. I'm in the bookstore, and I see this book, and I, I, I think it's a terrible cover, by the way. It looks like uh, Cliff Notes, but, but, but it, it captured me, this whole thing about how the culture of fear is manipulating our brains, and, and, and it's an easy read. I read it in one flight from one part of the country to another, and, and I remembered it and picked it back up, and I thought, man, how relevant it is. Now, the interesting thing about this is Dan Gardner had no idea that anything like this pandemic was coming along when he writes this book. He had no clue. And so his basic context for study is the 9-11 attacks and our fear of terrorism and how incredibly irrational it was. Isn't it interesting that right now you hear nothing about that? I mean, just, just tell me. When I first came here, right after 9-11, nobody could talk about anything else. It was all there was. It was our biggest fear, right? And now, isn't it intriguing? You don't even hear it mentioned anymore because something else has taken its place in the forefront and has become the object that captures our fears. That's why. And now you think, you know, there's never going to be a day we don't talk about the coronavirus, but there will be. There'll be a day we, don't, we barely remember some of this. That's hard to believe, but it's, it's true. It's the nature of human beings. We jump from one thing to another, which we can pin our fear to. So anyway, he, he uses 9-11 as the context, and he talks about how people became so irrationally fearful of flying. And so they made ridiculous drives everywhere. They, got it, they hopped into their cars. And as a result of that, statisticians say, and those who look at statistics, that thousands of people actually died because they chose to drive instead of flying because driving is far worse. It is far more dangerous than flying, and your chances of 
somehow being subjected to a terrorist attack are like, they're so minuscule, you're more likely to win the lottery and be struck by lightning on the same day. Now, the question is, did we learn anything from that? See, fear has a, it has a right place, as Gardner points out. It, it does protect us. And I, I think Dr. Fauci is probably right when he says a little fear is not such a bad thing right now. But that's fear carefully focused, rationally focused, and used in the right way to protect us from something that is a danger, if not to us, then to our society. So it, it's rational processing of that fear. We apparently never learn. We, we react in the same silly ways over and over again, and that's because what we do instead is to feel with what Garner calls our guts, and he calls our reptile brains our guts, and then to justify or make sense of something with our rational brains, which he calls our head. So it's gut and head. So he says we have these two brains that are operating all the time, and they can't stay in sync with each other very easily. It's really hard to keep them in rhythm. Now, what I want to suggest to you is that a tool that we can use to sync up those two sides of ourselves is gratitude. Because gratitude focuses us on the right things, on the things that really matter, are eternally significant and important, and takes our attention away from that little message in the back of our heads that's constantly telling us, you need to be very, very afraid all the time. And this is what Paul uses. Now the question we ask, I received an email from one of our uh, Colombians who said, this is kind of a, a fun email to work back and forth with, and she said, you know, I just marvel that Paul was never afraid. And, and I, I, I instinctively reacted back really quickly, are you nuts? Paul was human. Do you really, do you really honestly believe that Paul was not afraid? Of course he was. He was afraid of dying. He was afraid of never getting out of prison. He was afraid of not seeing his friends like the Philippians again. He was afraid of all he was afraid that the gospel would somehow be rejected of this peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. He was afraid he'd be irrelevant. He had all the same fears we did. But what we see in Philippians is the way he works that fear out in his rational mind, knowing what he knows about the promises of God. And so we get the gift of reading his journal, right? We get the gift of seeing how he's processing his fear. Now, I've been using as a focal passage the place I think he does that most beautifully, Philippians 4, 4 through 7, 12 through 14. In this section of Scripture, so famous, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again, rejoice. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. And the fact that Paul repeats this, just twice says it, tells me that he is telling himself to rejoice, that he's reminding himself, let your gentleness or your moderation be evident to all because the Lord is near. See, this is the promise is that the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with Eucharisteo, with thanksgiving, no matter what, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, let me pause for a second and talk about the things that the Apostle Paul is clearly afraid of that we are not. 
and why that is true. In that book, Fear, by Dan Gardner, Gardner points out that we are the healthiest, wealthiest, longest living, and safest generation in the history of the world. We North Americans. He says, you know, we've got less to fear than any generation before us has had. In fact, he goes back and he points to some things that we could have feared had we lived a long time ago, somewhere else, or if we lived in a different part of the world. And some of you who've worked in other parts of the world, you know what I'm talking about here. I mean, there are real fears that we don't, we don't deal with. And so he says what we do is to find, we're gonna find something to be afraid of. So we pin more irrational fears on things. But look what Paul's afraid of. Paul doesn't say, that he's afraid of being unloved and lonely. That's pretty high up on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He doesn't say he's afraid of being a failure. He might be afraid of that, but he doesn't say it. Look what he says he's afraid of, these situations, well-fed or hungry, plenty or want. See, when Paul's situation, we're way farther down on the list of needs. So Paul has had to worry about where his next meal would come from. Have you, in the last little while, even in the midst of the crisis, even in the midst of the pandemic when it was hard to find groceries, did you honestly spend five minutes worrying that you would not eat something? I'm guessing that for most of you, the answer is no. Now, if you had to be afraid of that, you'd worry about where more basic things than the garbage we worry about, the stuff that shows up on Facebook and Instagram. But instead, he has these basic things that he's talking about. Will I eat or will I not? I have learned to be content whether plenty or want. Do I have enough money to make it through the next day? Now, maybe some of you have had this concern, but not many. Most of you have a lot of grumbling to do about your work situation right now. You're ticked off, you're not at the office, you're mad that it's hard to make calls, whatever the case may be, but you probably haven't had to worry about whether you could make it through the next day. You may not be quite as wealthy as you were, you may be wealthier. Some people are prospering. I just read a big article about this. Some people are prospering more in this time, which is crazy, but you did not worry about these basic things. And when we can't worry about basic things when they're taken care of, we move up the ladder to more irrational concerns and more irrational fears. Paul's stuff is basic here. I told you last week that fear produces, in the last several weeks, fear produces anxiety, anger, depression, lots of emotions. And and I've been trying to say we can choose our emotional responses. Now, I've had some pushback on this because people have said, look, I can't control what I feel. And, and, And that may be true to a point. Even Gardner in his book says that we cannot control what our gut tells us all the time. We are going to have feelings and we're going to have to figure out what they mean. But our emotional responses are different than our emotions, aren't they? So see, if I know I'm afraid of rejection, I'm afraid of being alone, I'm afraid of being unloved. If I know that about myself, then I can wrap my head around it, rooted in the promises of God, and I can figure that out. Some things have really aroused these fears for me in the past, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So In that period of time, I have faced no medical crisis myself. I've been sick a time or two. I thought I would die once, but, you know, no big deal, really no big deal. 
but I have faced major illness of my mother and my father and my daughter and my wife. Now, if you, if you take the list, if you take the list of people in my life who I most fear being without, you just filled out a big part of that list. And I will have to be without some of them at some point, and that's, that scares me to death. I am far more afraid of the death of people I love than I am of my own death. I've always said this. I've always said, Lord, let, let me die before Debbie does. I think she could handle the world better without me than I can without her. Well, that may not happen. So, so facing those things has, has raised something really primal in me. It really deeply embedded in me. And somehow I've got to elevate to that to the surface and name it and to do what Paul does here and choose my response to that. Because if you think about it, listen, the best response to the fear of losing something in the future is to enjoy it right now. Am I right about this? This is rational. Let's say that the person you love most in the world, that could be your husband, wife, son, daughter, father, mother, best friend, me, I don't know, whatever it is, envision that you know for a fact you will lose that person in one year. One year, okay? So you know that's a fact. And what most human beings are going to do is to spiral down into a depression and a despair and an anxiety that will affect most days pretty deeply. But I think I can tell you, and you will agree with me, that the rational thing for me to do, if I knew I were going to lose that person in one year, is to make every day and every moment I have count. Am I right about this? But that's not what we do. But it is what we can do. What enables us to do that? You want to take a guess? It's gratitude. Gratitude lets me live in the moment. It lets me appreciate what is coming my way right now. So we can choose our emotional responses. Anger is a defense mechanism. It's easy to get angry. It's automatic. Gratitude is a coping skill. It's a spiritual, whole life spiritual discipline. And the secret, of course, course I've been saying is joy that's grounded in thanksgiving, and the key is Christ's presence. So when Paul talks about this secret, he ends up saying, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, which I dealt with in great detail last week. In all things, I have endurance in the one who is empowering me. I can make it. I can get through because Christ is empowering me. Now, the question is, what then should we rightly fear? What would Paul say to us? Does he give us a clue in the book of Philippians or elsewhere? Does he teach us what we should be afraid of? And the answer is yes. And that brings us to our passage of the day. So take a look with you, would with me, at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 28. Therefore, my dear friends, because of all this I've said before this, you remember about Jesus emptying himself, all that great theology about, about Jesus' uh, a canonic uh, movement of emptying himself, of ambition and pride, etc. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything, do everything, do everything without grumbling or arguing 
so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation that grumbles and argues all the time. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that you did not, that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered. When I receive news about you, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will soon come to you. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier who we met in our study of Philemon, remember, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for you all with, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Now, very quickly, this is a pretty simple lesson. Let's talk about fear and trembling. The first thing that Paul says, and it's really clear, but you've got to look carefully at Philippians, is the only thing you need to fear is God. Now, a lot of people don't like this. A whole lot of Christians I know today don't want to talk about the fear of God. But what Paul is saying is the only thing of eternal consequence is whether God grants you sanctification and redemption or not. Nothing else really matters. Everything else is temporal, temporary. But if God says you're in because you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you've lived for him, if God says that, then there's really nothing else that is of eternal consequence. Everything else is just temporary. And so he says, he says, look, the only thing really to fear is God. You say, well, where did he say that? Let's look very carefully at this. First of all, he says, and a lot of people love to quote this out of context, never quote this without quoting the next verse, okay? Because he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. People say to me, look here, see there? It's our job to work out our own salvation. It is our job to get it done. Our job to make ourselves Christ-like, and we should do it with fear and trembling, but you're missing the whole next piece. For, because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, if it is God who is the one doing the work in you, and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Who does Paul mean that we should fear? And who does Paul mean we should tremble in the presence of God? And the answer, of course, is God. Because God's the one doing all this, and we accept it with grace and gratitude. That's our job. So working it out with fear and trembling means receiving whatever God has for us with grace. And what do we call that, my friends? We call it gratitude. Being grateful even for the hard moments for the difficult things that God uses to shape us for eternity. Finding a way even to be grateful for those things is what Paul's talking about. Next he says, 
We need to receive life with grace. So he says, and this is pretty easy to explain, but do everything without grumbling or arguing. Man, this scripture this week has been my nemesis. And the reason is because Debbie, my wife, she always knows what I'm going to preach the next week. So she gets the notes before anybody else. She proofreads my notes usually. She knows what I'm going to preach. And so she's been reading these passages with me. And so she knows this piece. And so we've been out several times this week. We've been doing stuff. And I've been a little snippy this week. Can I just be honest with you? I don't know why. I've just been a little on edge. I can't, I've had a little anxiety. I don't know why. But anyway, who do you take it out on? It's not rational to take it out on the people you most love. If you're going to take it out on someone, take it out on someone you hate. I know we don't really hate, but you get my point. But we take it out on the person we most love. So I just got really, really frustrated a couple times about stupid stuff. And, and my sweet wife, she says to me, fear and grumbling. I mean, uh, arguing and grumbling. Arguing and grumbling are the natural response to fear. Look, you don't, if you don't want to work at anything in your life, just argue and grumble. They come naturally. Nothing comes more naturally than that. But if you are arguing and grumbling, you should know that you've sold out to the low road instead of gratitude, which is the high road. And gratitude is the antidote to anxiety. It is the antidote to fear. And it is the antidote to grumbling and arguing. So Paul says, we're poured out with joy. Let me show you here a little Greek. And if, by the way, your patience with me as a New Testament teacher right now, I love it because some of you love this Greek stuff and somebody else said you really are geeking out on the Greek. But I, I gotta show you a few things here that are cool. And one of them is this piece where Paul says in verse 17, I am being poured out like a drink offering. Now it's a really interesting statement. And the reason it's an interesting statement is because it's one Greek word. <laughs> this is really cool. One Greek word is an entire English sentence. And this is a cool word. Like, this is one to teach your kids. This word is spindamai. Spindamai. In fact, its root is spindos. It's where we get the word spind or expend. Spind means to spend out. And so in this word spindomai, this combination word means I am being poured out as a libation or a drink offering. That's what Paul says. Now, where does he get this? Well, did you read Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 with me last week. And did you see how the Apostle Paul talks about the model of Jesus who empties himself to take on the form of a human being? For Paul, that means consciously expending himself. For Jesus, that was his natural response. Even though he was human, his natural response was to empty himself because, because he had no sin. But our sin response is to take what we can and spending ourselves in gratitude is the discipline. Spend am I. You might want to use this word once in a while. Paul uses it, and only Paul uses it in the New Testament. Again, I told you Paul's vocabulary is unbelievable. If you want an argument for Paul being the author of 2 Timothy, this is a good one. It's the only other place the word spindemai is used. And there Paul is actually knowing that he is dying, talking to Timothy, and he says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. On the sacrifice in Philippians... I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, 
I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul is saying is that what makes his life worthwhile is expending himself along with his brothers and sisters to build the kingdom. So the partnership of the kingdom is what brings him joy, and that is doing the work of God with other people, and that is the thing that makes him joyful beyond joy, makes him able to write this book. I could spend all day on this one, but I gotta move along really quickly. Let me just say this. When our tendency in a moment like this in response to fear and anxiety, is to grab what we can for ourselves, whether it's toilet paper or whatever, we somehow have to fight that with gratitude and be of greater service to others than we normally are. Not less, greater. The antidote, gratitude. We're grateful for everything God has given and therefore we're able to serve others. Pouring ourselves out in this moment is what will bring us joy in the same way that it did the Apostle Paul. And finally, in doing so, we empower others. Paul talks about two people here. He talks about Timothy and the way that he has served with him and worked with him, and he talks about Epaphroditus. So there's a pastor and a lay person. This is kind of cool. Paul is mentoring pastors, future leaders of the church in pastoral ministry. And Paul is also mentoring lay people, and the way he's doing it is by working with them in being poured out, in spending himself for the glory of God and for all that God is doing. Well, I think this is a pretty simple sermon, and I think you'll agree with it. When we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. This is the truth. When we fear God, we need fear nothing else because all that is of eternal significance is that God is pleased with us in the way that we are responding in the name of Jesus to everything the world can throw at us. I think here of the words of 1 John 4, 18 through 19, which is one of my life memory verses. There's no fear in love. Perfect love, agape, casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, this is all about our relationship to God. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. So what does gratitude do? It focuses us on God's love. I'm glad we sang that praise song today, You Are Good, and, and, you know, it's like a lot of praise songs. It just says the same thing over and over again. You are good. You're good. Oh, but there is something that happens to us when we recognize that in all things, even in the most difficult of moments, God is always good. He always has our best eternal interests at heart. He is always advancing his kingdom, and he is always loving us with an everlasting love. He is good. And when we are grateful, gratitude is the discipline that attaches us to the love of God and cast out fear. When gratitude grates, serve more, love more, be more grateful, be more hopeful, not less. These things are disciplines. When your gut tells you to be afraid, you tell your gut to take a hike because you know the God of love and he's the only thing that you truly need to fear. And because of Jesus, and his sacrifice, and because of what God is doing in your life and discipleship, you don't even fear him anymore. Not even that.
Father, I pray that you would give us hearts of love and that you would remove our guts of fear, not because we won't feel it ever again, but because we learn through your word and your way how to deal with it. Make us grateful. And Father, bring others to this life of gratitude, this way of gratitude. And give us this bond of peace that in pouring ourselves out together, in spending ourselves together, we find together your joy. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Hey, friends, I hope to see you this afternoon at 1 o'clock at the virtual meeting I sent you a message about. In the meantime, until I see you, I love you, I miss you, I'm praying with you. You go and ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Have a blessed and grateful week, and we will see you soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro D.C. or Northern Virginia area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.